the reading this morning is from Matthew. It has the, uh, the, the Beatitudes, uh, which he was preaching on the mountain. And I have 9 and 10. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Being a peacemaker, when I looked it up, I've got concordances and I've got commentaries and I've got Bible dictionaries. And so I was going through it and I looked up peacemaker. And it's someone who seeks out change through peace without any type of of coercion or use of force. And then a little bit down further it says, and seemingly it's an act of futility in most cases. And I thought, wow, that's in the Bible dictionary. <laughs> I was like, wow. But then it said, it is not the ends that matter. It is the process of peacemaking that's important. So it's going it. It's constantly going and making peace. It's knowing that the world might change in your lifetime. That's important. But the effort that you're putting in to making sure that you are a being that is working towards peace, not a being that is helping in our broken world to become more broken and more angry and more xenophobic and more hateful with each passing day. There are a lot of things out there that we can hang on to and say, yeah, might makes right. If I'm hiding behind a tank, then you're going to listen to me, and we're going to win this, and then I will feel safer. I can understand that. But you've got to think about, when did Christ say, blessed are the peacemakers? Christ actually gave the Beatitudes during a time when most historians believe was the most peaceful time in the ancient world. It was during the time of the Pax Romana, which meant the peace of Rome. Rome had most of the known world under its control, and there were no great wars breaking out during that time because they had conquered most of the known world. But as we know, during that time, there were rebellions nonstop. And what did they do? They killed everybody that went against them. So they had the Pax Romana at the point of a sword. If you rose up against them, they killed you flat. If a village rose up against them, they wiped out the village. If you did something they really didn't like, then they hung your whole village on a cross to show everybody that went by that these people were treasonous against Rome. Why do you think people were so horrified that Christ was hung on a cross? It wasn't because he was crucified because of his faith, but because he did something that was so horrific, so absolutely horrific, he had the absolutely worst punishment anybody would get during that time. They did kill people other ways. 
You could be hung. You could have your head cut off. There was virtually all the ways that you can die available to them at this time. They chose the worst humiliation they could think of to kill Christ. And I want you to think about this. And I'm really going to get gross here because I want you to understand what the Prince of Peace went through for you. Being on the cross, oh, I even like in the Passion, he's up there and we still get the floaty Christ image in our head where Christ is like, that's okay, I'll do it for you, no problem. He wasn't just crucified. That's not the problem. The hours you are up there, your body shuts down. So it's not only the humiliation of being up there. It's not only the fact that your body cannot handle the elements. It is not only the fact that your body can no longer support itself. And then you slowly suffocate to death, which is why they broke the legs of the people that were up there but your bowels and your bladder let loose. So you are humiliated in multiple ways. That is what they did. And that is what Rome did to anybody that came against them in a way that they thought was a threat to the Pax Romana. If you were a thought threat to their peace through military force, they humiliated you and they killed you in a way that was a message to the rest of the world that we are the peacemakers. Don't even get in our way. So what did Christ do? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And he was not saying Rome. And he said, blessed are those persecuted in my name because he knew he wasn't talking about Rome. And he was talking to people who he knew were going to be standing up to Rome and saying, this is not the way to bring peace about in my God's world. He was talking about shalom. Or what is that word I just asked you about? Salam. Salam is the Arabic word. Shalom is the Hebrew word. Peace is our English word. All of those words are God's peace. Peace not at the, the point of a gun. Peace not at the edge of a sword. But peace through Christ because we understand each other. We respect each other. We believe that each other are God's children and that we deserve the same rights that they deserve. And that they do not deserve to be held in contempt or reviled because they are not like us. Many of you know my son-in-law. If you've been to men's group, you know my son-in-law. My son-in-law is a very tall man. We're extremely happy that some tall DNA came into our family because we just kept getting shorter. <laughs> you also know that he's in the Army and that um, he served for 18 months in Iraq. He was at that unique time when they went from all-out war to partial war. And they told the army while he was there that suddenly the enemy was still the enemy for part of the time, but part of the time they were there to be peacemakers. Think about this mindset. Soon as he got there, they started beating into his head who the enemy was and how to find the enemy. And so day after day after day, he calls it, excuse my language here, but it's the truth, he calls it the PowerPoints from hell 
where they show you picture after picture after picture of all the things that can kill you. Toys, things on the ground, rocks, children, adults, women, everything that can kill you, what you are supposed to look for. Hours of this, eight hours a day of pictures and lectures and what you have to look for. What is the enemy? And then you go out during the days, and there are times that his friend did not come home. That's why he has the big memorial tattoo on, that things blow up around you. And there are things that you have to face off, and there are times you have to point your gun. And then the day comes when your commanding officer says, and now you are peacekeepers. So all those things that we told you are still things you have to worry about, but you are to smile and make the people that we said were your enemy suddenly into friends. So the first time he was with their group walking through one of the, the towns that were by his FOB forward operating base, him and a group of soldiers with very tall and full uniform, and his gun was like this big. It was huge. He's walking down a street, and in his group, suddenly a small child, about four years old, comes running towards this group of men. And they froze. And all he heard was a sergeant saying, hold, 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 we don't know, hold, 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 because they were ready to shoot the boy. Because if a child ran towards you, they were considered a hostile. Because parents were known to wrap bombs on these children to kill enemies. They didn't know if they had to kill this child. And suddenly, right before they had to point a gun at this child, they heard the father screaming, he just wants a picture, he just wants a picture, don't shoot. And they froze. And Curtis said he's never been so scared in his life than standing there as a small child came up to him because he didn't know at that moment if he was going to live or die. And he said the whole time that kid is just smiling at him because he doesn't know that they were getting ready to shoot him. And then the kid comes up to him and all he wanted was a picture from the soldiers. So we saw a picture, and I am so sorry, I did not get it, computers and all that stuff. But there is this picture of my very tall son-in-law on one knee with this adorable kid, a huge smile on my face, and Curtis has no color in his face whatsoever with the most grimmest look on his face, taking a picture with the kid as he's standing there with Curtis's gun, which is literally the size of the kid as he has this picture taken. And he told us the entire time he's having that picture taken, he's thinking, oh my God, I almost killed this child. That is what we call peacemakers nowadays. We have our soldiers suddenly becoming our peacemakers. We, we do this to them. We say, save us. Make us safe. Now go and make us safe, and then all of a sudden now make us peacemakers because you're a soldier peacemaker. Go in there and now tell all these people that we're your enemies. Suddenly, we're your friends. And we wonder why we have our soldiers coming back with PTSD because they're like, I don't know what to do with this. Our job 
is to make peace. Our job is to make sure that we go in the world and we bring the light of Christ into the world. We can't rely on our military to do it. We can't rely on our president to do it. Because whether you voted for Trump or you didn't vote for Trump and you believe in him or you don't believe him, it doesn't matter. He is, by virtue of his office, a warrior. That is who he has to be. So once again, we're looking to a warrior to be a peacemaker, and he can't be that. Whether you agree with them or you don't agree with them, and you all know, I don't agree with them. But it doesn't matter because he is a warrior. We can't have our warriors be peacemakers because they can't think that way. We all know about our President Carter, right? President Carter was in for four years. Everybody was like, yeah, not the greatest president. But man, as soon as he wasn't a warrior, what a beautiful peacemaker he is. He's a leader as a peacemaker that's amazing. That's his gift. He goes around the world and he is a peacemaker extraordinaire. Warrior? And I'm even a Democrat. Warrior. But peacemaker? Boy, does he have that gift. He talks to people. He brings them together. He talks about how everyone has rights and gifts and are actual children of God. He is a peacemaker. We need to reach out in peace. We are in turbulent times. We've been in turbulent times forever, it seems. We have to reach out in peace. We have to let the world know that we're not at war all the time. We have to let the world know that in our communities, we can love one another. We have to let the world know that we can speak out in peace. We've seen just this week alone three major demonstrations. The night of the inauguration, we saw riots. Now, I want you to know who was in that riot. Those were anti-Trump demonstrators, but the largest part of that riot were anarchists. And it doesn't matter who was getting voted into office, they were going to cause a riot because that's what anarchists do. They create anarchy. They don't want peace. They never want peace. They want anarchy so that the strongest rises out of that. But if you're a true anarchist, you don't want the strongest either. You want more anarchy. So they're going to sow seeds of discord no matter what. They don't want peace. They want hate. They want whatever. Then you saw the women marching, and that was peaceful. And that was beautiful. And that was throughout the world, not only our country. People showing that you can march peacefully for a million different reasons. I'm not even sure why everybody was marching. Sharon was, a, Sharon was out there marching away. Nope. Granddaughters were marching away. And then we had the Right to Life march. Again, peaceful people protesting. You can do peace, and it can be peaceful. You don't even have to agree with the people doing peace. And that is the core 
to peacemaking. It's being civil to one another. It is understanding that you might not agree with what they're saying, but being civil to one another, that they have the right to express their opinion. They have the right to believe in one way than you do. They have the right to believe in God maybe in a different way than you do. They have the right to exist. They have the right to be an American. They have the right to speak. They also have the right to listen to you. And we should be civil to one another. There's a wonderful program that will be this Tuesday, 6.30, 6 o'clock, 6.30, at Heartland. And that is being civil to one another in Rockford. It is about this, that we need to come together in Rockford and be civil to each other. All of you are invited. Heartland's a big place. We can fill it. I'll be going. Eric's going, doing his other thing. But I'll be going. <laughs> we'll talk civilly about it later. <laughs> Maybe that's the first step to peace, is learning how to be civil to one another. Learning how to be civil when you disagree with somebody, bringing that message of peace. I love that Good Morning America decided to bring peace in a unique way, and one of the anchors said, you know what they did? They just said good morning to people. And people found that interesting and were shocked that when he went into the elevator, he said good morning to the people. And they actually looked at him instead of the numbers. They looked down. Bringing peace into the world might be an act of futility in this world. But like the definition said, it's not the end that you're looking for. It is the process. And in that process, how many lives can you touch? Christ died. The world was not perfect when Christ died. Christ was resurrected. The world not, was not perfect when Christ was resurrected. Christ rose to heaven. The world was not perfect when Christ rose to heaven. But we are the body of Christ. And we need to continue to do the Prince of Peace's work. Because eventually, the kingdom of heaven will be here. And the world will be perfect. And I would love to enter into those gates saying, yes, man, I tried hard. Even though the definition said it was an act of futility, God, man, I worked for it. I did everything I could. And I would like you there next to me going, did that seem futile to me? No, I think we did something. I really do. I think we did something. One of the first things I'd like to do today is after the worship service, if you'd have a few minutes, let, let's popcorn some ideas of what can we put on our sign out there? What statement can we make to the, the, to the community? What do we want it to say? We're in a very unique position. We share a parking lot with our mosque. Our statement actually means something, maybe not as much to the people driving by, but it definitely means something to our neighbors and everybody that knows that we have a neighbor of a mosque. What do we want to say? So after worship, Let's start our act of futility. Let's take that first little baby step into peacemaking and make a statement. And what will that statement be? And as we're talking about what does our church do in the world, 
the new um, leader of the UN started, and whether you support the UN or not, or think sometimes those little powder blue helmets look really funny on the news, I gotta laugh every time I see them, sorry. But 180 organizations, including the United Methodist Church, sent a letter to the new leader of the United Nations asking that there are more peaceful resolutions instead of peace via gun. And that's where you start. Every small act of peace, hopefully someday, will be enough where we truly do have heaven on earth and truly do create that kingdom of heaven that God has entrusted us with. Let all the people say, Amen.